Welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants. Today we're here to talk about how to thrive as an introverted Pilates instructor. And I'm with Natalie Wilson and Kyle Marsh. Welcome, Natalie. Hi, everybody. It's so really good to be here. And welcome, Kyle. Hi. Glad to be back and in a room of introverts. Right. So, um, you know, you you guys uh, both got this gig because you're self-confessed introverts uh, and also highly successful Pilates instructors. And uh, so we're here to have a conversation about how to thrive as an introverted Pilates instructor. So uh, first, uh, Natalie, you know, when you define yourself as introvert, like what do you mean by introvert? In its simplest form, I think for me, an introvert is somebody who derives energy from being alone. So the opposite of an introvert is an extrovert, which means they derive their energy from being with others. Mm-hmm. And Kyla, so you're nodding. Yeah. Do, you, do you have anything to add or subtract I from that? I agree. I always call myself a shy person, but just shy, shy in that it's like similar to what Natalie just said. Like, I'm very happy to engage one-on-one or in smaller groups with people that I really enjoy spending time with, but my nightmare scenario is walking into a massive party full of people that I don't know and having to like introduce myself and start making small talk. That's where I die. In preparation, because I consider myself an introvert as well, and I broadly agree with with your definition of as somebody who basically draws energy from alone time uh, and uh, spends energy in company with other people. Um, however, I, I did some re- reading on the scientific literature on it's actually called extroversion and like introversion is like the absence or the opposite of extroversion. It's one of the big five personality traits in, in uh, personality theory in psychology. Uh, And uh, the literature I read distinguish. So firstly, the two, I guess the two distinctions I'd like to add to this are that firstly, uh, it's not a dichotomy between introvert, introvert and extrovert. And that everybody needs human connection, even the most introverted person needs human connection, and everybody needs alone time, even the most extroverted person, you know, can't be a 24-hour party person 365 days a year. So, yeah, it's it's really a matter of degree, and it's like how much alone time do you need and how much people time do you need? Uh, so I think that's that's a, that's it's a bit of a nuance, but it's basically just agreeing with what you guys said. And the second thing is what you should said, Kyle, about shyness is uh, the literature. One piece of literature I read said that shyness is on a separate scale or a separate. It's a separate construct to introversion. That introversion introverted people aren't necessarily shy, although they may be. But it's it's not necessarily the same thing. Like, and I would argue from what I have seen of you. I mean, you've come and stayed at my house. We've had dinner together many times. You've guested on this podcast a bunch of times. You've left a bunch of spontaneous voicemails inviting yourself on the podcast, you know, multiple times. Like, I don't think of you as someone who's shy. (laughs) Well, I'll say this. When I go somewhere I've never been before and I'm with my husband who is extremely extroverted. I always make him walk into the room in front of me so that he can buffer what I'm about to engage in. So 
maybe I, I, I identify as being shy, but also when it's a topic or like a community of people that I'm really interested in, like that's a different, that goes into a different category in my head. <laughs> um, so Natalie, uh, yeah, like what I've, I've got a little list of things that I would like to talk about here in, and, uh, but yeah, what did you have on your list? What questions do you, do you want to, uh, examine today? I mean, I think it'd be really fun. So we defined, we defined, uh, introvert versus extrovert. I think it would be really fun to talk about what our kryptonite is to start off with, uh, just because I think when we think about introverts, I feel like we get um, we get really pegged as people who are socially awkward and just want to be all alone all the time. And yeah, so I think um, I, I like what Kyle said, and I can I can start. I like what Kyle said. My kryptonite is definitely large crowds and, and also noise. Um, those are my biggest ones and small talk for sure. And I, I didn't know that I was an introvert until my early thirties. Uh, like it didn't occur to me. I've always been an introvert, but I didn't realize I was an introvert until my early thirties. And then everything about my behavior made sense. So like, for instance, Kyla, Kyla and I, we grew up on Kauai. It's a very small Island in the middle of nowhere and everybody knows everybody. And even as a small child, my mom would say things like, get ready, we're going to a party. And I would flip out because I didn't want to go to a party. Or like um, I in high school, I had a boyfriend. And honestly, I, I don't know if he was an introvert or an extrovert. And if he's listening, maybe you can message me and tell me if you're an introvert or an extrovert. But here's what I know is we would go out and we would see people off in the distance. And I'd be like, no, 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 I don't want to talk to them. Can we please go around? The, go, let's go the other way. Let's pretend like we didn't see them. And he'd be like, no, we have to say hi. And that's my whole life. Like even to this day when I go to Kauai and my mom's like, hey, let's go to the store together. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to the store with you because we're not going to do anything except say hi to people all the time. So no, you go to the store by yourself. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's me. It's no, I don't like small talk. I don't like, I don't like being in a room, a big room full of strangers, and I don't like a lot of noise. That's the hardest part for me is yes. just the noise. But yeah. How about you, wow. Kyle? That's me. I can really relate to Natalie in so many ways. Also, I love that we both grew up on Kauai and met, never met each other on Kauai, which is very strange because Kauai is very small and we've connected in this way. Um yeah, the party thing, big crowd, small small talk. I think I also, to be honest, now in my 30s have realized that I'm much more sensitive to noise than I ever thought that I was. Um, and when I'm saying noise, I mean just like being at a really loud bar and having to like yell across the table at someone to even try and have a conversation. I, I just don't have the bandwidth for that anymore. Um, and it's very unenjoyable <laughs> for me. I want to be somewhere where I can hear people speaking. Um and I think unless, not, I'm going to make myself, myself sound antisocial, but we're talking about kryptonite. But the when you meet people for the first time, if I can't find something that I have in common with somebody that is actually interesting to talk about, my internal sense, even though the adult in me knows that this is inappropriate, is that I would like to leave. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. And you can't because you're standing right there. Sorry. I think for me, it... no, no. Uh, and especially if you've got Natalie's old boyfriend with you. Um, for me, like I agree with everything both of you have said. Like I, I dislike large groups of people. I dislike noise. I dislike making small talk with people I don't know very well. Um, I feel like I can, however, like I wouldn't say any of those things in my kryptonite. Like I can navigate those situations. I, I can be charming. Like in those situations just requires a lot of effort. Like it's like I'm driving the car with my foot flat on the accelerator on the floor. And it's like, yeah, I can do this for an hour, but then I'm going to need to lie down in the corner. <laughs> you know. Um, but for me, the when, when Natalie, when you say kryptonite, I think like, you know, fatal substance that's going to rob me of all my powers, you know, in an instant. And, um, and for me, that is definitely being put on the spot in a social situation to participate in what I would experience as like a really silly game. So if someone's like, hey, Raph, we should play charades. You do the charade or, um, you know, Pictionary or karaoke or, you know, like just any of those like nonsensical kind of performative social things, which, we, you know, which other people love. <laughs> love but to me it's like oh my god if i think even just thinking about that makes me cringe and if somebody if you would oh the the absolute worst thing for me like the you know the thing that is just like beyond the pale for me is when i'm out at it if i'm ever out which i never ever am these days because i know to avoid them on fridays and saturdays at some kind of middle eastern restaurant and the belly dancer comes up and belly dances at me and pulls me up and wants me to belly dance in front of everybody. That is my, like, I would rather sink to the ninth <laughs> level of hell. You know, that to me is just a mortifying experience that I never want to have in my whole life ever again. So I, I will not go to Middle Eastern restaurants on a Friday or Saturday night just in case there's a belly, da- belly dancer there. Yeah. Do either of you have a, have something an extreme reaction to anything like that? Yeah, I mean, it reminded it reminds me of all those times when we're in the anytime there's an audience um, participation thing. You know, if you're if there's like I was thinking of like one time we were I was in New York City and we're on Broadway watching Cats and you know how how maybe if you've seen Cats like they come into they crawl and I just burst into tears like I do not want them anywhere near me. Like, I I don't, I I just thought they were going to drive me up on the stage. Um, But yeah, anytime there's a performer and he's like, can I get participation from the audience? I'm like covering myself, like wanting to die. I always look for the person who's hiding. How about you, Kyle? They're always like, you, you look like you don't want to do it. I would never sit in the first 10 rows at a comedy gig. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think I would say my mine are similar. Um, maybe not specifically about belly dancers, but a similar reaction is, you know, sometimes when it's your birthday at a restaurant or um, there's this restaurant on Kauai called Dukes and it's like where we would go for our birthday because it felt fancy. And they always have the guitar ukulele players wandering around. And if it's your birthday, they send them to your table and they will sing you happy birthday. And that to me is the 
same reaction as the belly dancer situation. It's like, no, no, no. Shh. <laughs> Don't tell anyone we're here. Yeah, I can I can imagine you yeah. shrinking into your seat. Yeah, it's ironic disappear. though because I am also somebody who comes from a performance background and like I was a professional dancer and I've spent a lot of time on stage. Um, and Natalie, I feel like you and I talked about this because I know you have a performance uh, background and experience as well. Just it seems ironic that somebody who embarrassed by those types of situations would also be so at home on a stage setting doesn't like it would make sense but those two things do feel really different to me and I think the separation for them like why performing in a in a safe space like on a stage in a proscenium without people who are going to surprise you it feels different um, and maybe required less energy from me is because it feels more like um like a task or a thing that you are doing that you've rehearsed many, many times. So it is predictable and you know the sort of structure of what that experience is. Whereas what I feel like we're all naming in the things that are making us uncomfortable um, are the are the public moments that feel unexpected, that don't have structure that we are familiar with that feels like uncomfortable. Yeah, totally. Totally. I was listening... I was listening to a podcast with Susan Cain, who is a really popular author talking about introversion. And she was on a podcast uh, with some, it was a, I don't remember, it was a TED Talk podcast. And she was talking about how um, in her research on introverts, a good number of lawyers and also a good number of um, actors are also introverts. And you'd think that that was a weird thing because that requires, you know, being up on stage and performing, but there's a level of control. It's just like what you said, Kyle. It's a it's a task. It's a passion. There's a level of control there. Whereas, you know, being accosted by a belly dancer when you're just trying to have dinner, it just that's I'm laughing because it's horrifying. Like I'm feeling, I just I feel so much empathy for you. I'm imagining myself in that situation, and I would not even attempt to go in a restaurant like that just for that reason. Yeah, I mean, for me, that whole experience is like. It, Everything about it is ab- abhorrent to me. It's like a grown woman shaking her breasts in my face right when my wife's sitting right there, like being the center of attention in this restaurant full of strainers, strangers, um, you know, being asked to dance in front of people, like just all of that stuff is just like, yeah, very, very <laughs> unpleasant. <laughs> um, so what what do you think, Kyle, are the, you know, so, right, so this, that's our kryptonite. Okay, so please, you know, dear listener, please don't use that your powers for evil now that you you know that about us. Um, uh, so Kyle, like, what do you think of as the the strengths or the the the, the superpowers of being an introvert when it comes to a Pilates situation, like being a Pilates teacher? I think that it can make you uniquely. Um, I want to use the word talented because I can't think of a better one, but uniquely positioned to connect on a more personal level with clients um, and potentially may benefit you in a one-on-one setting, which is like, you know, teaching group class to me and teaching somebody one-on-one are two very different types of interactions. Um, And it's not to say that you couldn't do both as an introvert. You absolutely can. I have, and I know Natalie has, and I'm assuming you have too, Raph. Um, but it may help you also discover if you're a 
flight instructor, kind of what direction you lean. Like I know for myself, um, recognizing that I am an introvert has actually really kind of led me to be like, it's okay if you prefer teaching private clients over like performing every week in a massive group class setting, um, because I take more joy in that. And I think also um, introversion potentially can help you. The benefit is that you might be more deeply, not that extroverts aren't deeply thoughtful, but in my experience, um, a lot of the introverts that I know spend, when we go away into our little shells and like recalibrate, we do tend to spend a lot of time deeply thinking about things. And um, I think that can benefit you in your work because it can make you more reflective about your professional practices. Interesting that you say that because my experience is the opposite. I want to share that in a minute, but Natalie, first, what's what what do you see as the kind of the the pros or the you know the strengths of introverts? I think most introverts I know can read a room really, really well, and that's mostly because when we go in there, we're not going in there to be the room. We're going in there to just kind of test things out. So that I know for I know for me, um, I can read the room really, really well, and I can do that both in person and online. And that's just because I, I'm walking in already observing and just looking out for everything. So that's one thing. Um, one of the things that I think is a really important skill as an introvert is my ability to connect really well with other introverts. And, and what I mean by that is I, I had a coaching call a while ago with a student. She's now a graduate. And She's incredibly shy and she is very introverted and soft-spoken and she wasn't sure if she was cut out to teach. And what I said to her was, for me as an introvert, my preference is to go take class from other introverted teachers because as much as I admire extroverts, I don't want to be in a room taught by an extrovert that sounds so horrible but it's just like when they're like hey how's it going you know like and I'm just like I need the volume down a whole lot I would much rather be uh, taught by people who can also sense that I need the energy down less so yeah that's I think that's that's the one of the biggest superpowers I can't speak for others but for myself it's like I read a room really well and I think I work really well with other introverts (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Uh, well, I think for me, kind of coming from the same reason, but I think opposite to what you said, Kyle, I actually prefer to work in groups. I've taught 10,000 plus group classes with, you know, 15 people or more in them. And I've taught quite a number of individual sessions as well, like several thousand, but I actually prefer the group classes because I can be more anonymous in a group class. Actually, I hate the small talk aspect of working one-on-one with clients and like, you know, occasionally there's a client that you really, really click with and the conversation totally flows easily. But when it's somebody that I don't feel like I have much in common with outside of Pilates, it's like, it's, to me, it's quite excruciating kind of, uh, spending an hour with this person once or twice a week. It's like, what, what am I going to talk about whilst you're doing your, whatever it is, exercise, you know, it's like, um, yeah. So to me, I prefer the groups and uh, I think for me, the, the, the superpower that I have observed in, uh, a few introverts that I know, and I think I said in both of, both of you as well, is, uh, the ability, you know, uh, the ability to connect by 
being interested in the other person by asking questions rather than by kind of performing or, or, or necessarily, you know, sharing of yourself. Although, you know, you can do that as well. But yeah, and I see that in myself as well, is that I, that's how I often navigate those kind of social situations where I feel a bit awkward, is I ask questions about the other person. Because that means that I don't have to, you know, then kind of put on a song and dance. So I think that's a I think that's a strength, you know. And I agree with with everything you you both said. You know, Can I actually as well. add something you just made me think? So um, I think you're actually I agree with you also, Raf, about the one on one connecting being more exhausting. But I you've made me realize that actually I'm really biased at this point because the only clients I teach right now are clients that I adore. But earlier in my career, which actually is how Natalie and I got on the topic of energy vampires, which we'll get to shortly, I was I I also found the one on ones extremely exhausting because the people that I was teaching at the time were not the people for me. So that's a good point. Yeah. All right. So maybe it's not one on ones. I just had the wrong clients, and it's not that they were bad people, just that we weren't you know well suited for each other temperamentally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think when people are what, when people are extroverted and they very kind of high affect, like high, you know, emotion, lots of emotion, you know, they have big emotions and they're very visible on their face and in their body language and in their tone of voice and all of that. And then they, I feel like kind of like, well, this person kind of expects me to be super excited that they just told me that they had something amazing for dinner last night or whatever. And I was like, I'm like, okay, that's nice for you. I'm, you know, but it's like, I find it hard to like get really excited about, you know, things like that. My husband and I were just visiting some friends who have a one-year-old and it's been a really long time since I've interacted with a child of that age. And to the point you just made, I feel like, and maybe I'm biased because I don't have children and I'm not a parent. All one-year-old interactions are on such an enormous scale. Like everything is so exaggerated and the 24 hours that we spent with this little human exhausted me more than my entire work week. Just because every reaction has to be like, oh my God, you did it. Oh, that's so sad. Like it's such perform, just such performance, I guess, is how I felt. No shade to the one-year-olds, but. Yeah. Oh, that that keeps going up until, I mean, my daughter's 17 and it, I think it, 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 it attenuates a bit, but they still come up to you and go, oh, how do you like my outfit? You know, oh, here's my project I did for school. Um, and you have to be like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and, and, you know, to be fair, most of the time as a parent, you do think it is amazing. Oh, you did put your hand in a bit of paint and stuck it on a piece of paper. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, you, I, I think that, I don't think that goes away in my experience. How about you, Natalie? <laughs> um, well, I have two boys. And there is a certain point where they do not want to have anything to do with me. They want to go into their rooms um, and just hide in their rooms or talk to their friends. But um, just to reiterate what Kyle said, I always believe once I figured out that I was an introvert, like the floodgates open and I was like questioning everything, including like, was I fit to become a parent? Because I... I had two babies close together and like I just I, I, there were times when I would tell my husband I just feel like a shell of myself like they're just sucking the life out of me because they required so much attention and I was a stay-at-home mom at the time that's how I found Pilates because I needed a break um and uh yeah 
Yeah. So Kyle, it's, it's not you. It is babies and children take a lot of attention. Yeah. My wife's, my wife pretty much said verbatim exactly what you just said, uh, Natalie. (laughs) I don't know if it's a common experience for women, but that was, that was our experience. Um, Um, so yeah, uh, Natalie, Kyle mentioned energy vampires, and when we were talking off air before we started, you brought up energy vampires as well. So, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it's probably self-evident, but we might as well just define it. So, first, what's an energy vampire, and then, like, yeah, what do you, what are your, who or what are your energy vampires, and how do you deal? How do you deal? An energy vampire is anybody that sucks your energy, literally anybody that sucks your energy. It could be clients who are difficult. Um, it could be clients that are actually wonderful, but you know, it's, it takes a lot of energy. And I, I just want to go back to what Raf said about, you know, being an introvert and liking group classes. I actually do as well. I've had really um, tough experiences with energy vampires in, a, in private lessons, but I've also just figured for myself that Any one-on-one session just takes so much energy, no matter what, even when you like them. And that's just a lot. So, but going back to energy vampires, um, the, the obvious ones are narcissists, whatever that means for you. If somebody who has narcissistic tendencies, we get them everywhere. They're in all walks of life and in all industries. So that would be, that would be the main one. I think for me is just difficult clients, clients who are always wanting things or asking questions or question. I, I don't, Kyle, do you help me out here? Like you tell me about your energy vampire. You can talk about the energy vampires in, in your one-on-one. Uh, okay. Uh, the, so energy vampire, I agree with everything Natalie just said. For me, energy vampire perfectly encapsulates a very specific type of client that I don't teach anymore. And I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that this type of client is not specific to New York City. Um, but the energy vampires, the ones that just like suck the life out of me, always tended to be, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but middle-aged women who were like housewives whose primary social activity was their like four Pilates sessions a week or something. So like when I was experiencing energy vampires, one of the issues is that I saw that person way too much. Like I can't teach anybody four times a week. That is too many times. I don't even see my friends four times a week. Um, and they were often in my like in my experience, like women who just were going through probably pre-menopause, but like didn't want to recognize that. And every they would they would just had a lot of really specific needs that I felt like I had to repeat myself a lot around. And I, and I, this is just my experience. I'm sure there's very many other situations where an energy vampire could manifest, but um, it was always someone who was like probably premenopausal, was in denial about the fact that she might be premenopausal or in menopause, would refuse to go to the doctor, always was obsessed with losing weight, didn't care that Pilates is not actually a great way to lose weight and also maybe you're not like we would just have the same conversation over and over again like four times a week um and that was that was the part for me that and it wasn't just one person it was a whole roster of clients at the time that I was working at a luxury gym and it was just the population of people that happened to be in that area and it was a combination of having the same conversation over and over again clients who were coming in with demands that just couldn't be met 
through Pilates, even though it had been communicated to them that the, the demands they were making couldn't be met through Pilates, and yet they were still coming in. Um, and then this social component, this like codependency, I guess, is like the word I'm searching for. Like they, I felt like often in my experience with my energy vampire clients, like I was the only sort of normal social interaction that they were having in their week. And I didn't have the capacity to fight with them all the time or not fight, but just to constantly push back and like give all the feedback about why Pilates wasn't going to help them be skinny and also teach a session and also hold this like huge conversation about their social lives. Like all of those things together just really zapped me all the way down to zero. And then you repeat that same version of that session like eight times in a row for like seven or eight hours in one day and you've got zero left. Below zero. It's like negative five. Natalie, do you have anything to build on that? Has that inspired you? Um, yeah. So I guess I don't, I can't think of very many energy vampires in my Pilates life right now, but the, there are some situations, I have to be really careful how I say this, but uh, either Pilates clients or even students who uh, want to spend the time in therapy, essentially, they they are not focusing on Pilates and they just have a lot of stuff going on in their personal life and they don't have any other outlet and you become the outlet. Um, so I think for me, that's that's the one that's happening now is just when people have personal issues and you become the person, It's it takes up a lot of energy to have to listen and then try to kind of steer them back to what the task is, which is Pilates or learning about Pilates. What about you, Raf? I've been thinking about the whole this the whole time that both of you have been sharing, and I, I really can't come up with anything. And I think energy vampire is not something that I really think of. Like, I, I just don't have that frame of reference. And I understand what you mean by the term. And I certainly understand what you mean when you say, you know, being around certain people drains you. I mean, I have that experience with people. I guess I don't really think of people as energy vampires. I feel like I I find it draining to be around people that require me, that are who I feel require me to be very animated you know, like invite very expressive, you know, ah, oh, that's amazing. Oh, you don't say, oh, wow. And then what did she say? Um, yeah. So that, that kind of drains me, but I think that's, that's, I don't think that's a, that's a problem with the person per se. It's just like, I think that's just an extrovert, you know, like they, <laughs> they're emotive and they expect, they expect me to be, you know, and if I'm just like, oh yeah, you know, like they, they, it, it feels to me like that must come across as me being disinterested or, not caring, but in reality, it's just like, no, that's how I express myself in a much more muted way generally. Um, so I, I guess there's that. Um, but I, I think like, you know, what you, you're both describing about kind of people sort of downloading their social things with you or, or feeling like that's their own, their main social interaction for the week and they really need to engage. I guess I've just created for the last sort of decade and a half or more as a life situation where I'm just not exposed to that. So, <laughs> so I guess I, I, I can't really relate anymore. Yeah. As I'm thinking about, as I'm reflecting on it, Raf, I feel like our, com uh, Breathe, our company, you hire a good number of introverts. I feel like there are a good number of introverts and we know how to, we, we play, we play with each other very well. 
I think that's part of it. But I'm wondering too, and, and Kyle, um, feel free to disagree. I'm wondering if you just have really good boundaries, like better boundaries than I do. Because <laughs> I think that's that's where I'm still working on myself as a Pilates teacher and a Pilates educator is like trying to constantly um, find any chinks in my armor and like trying to put up better boundaries about like when people start to get into my space mentally and emotionally, I need to know not to take it personally, that it's not about me and to be able to like back it off. And I'm wondering if that's what's happening. It's that you have really good boundaries or maybe you look so disinterested that the energy vampires are like, oh, he doesn't taste good anyway. I'm just going to go find Natalie. Like I'm just going to find somebody else. I don't know. I think that's, that's uh, probably, Kyle, that's probably at least part of it. <laughs> Um, well, I was reacting. I wanted to do like snaps. Yes, because as you two are both sharing sort of your energy vampires, I wrote a little note down where it helped me process and realize that actually the thing that I find or have found in the past so exhausting about energy vampires is my feeling of constantly having to uphold a boundary, like continuing to like put the shield up and like, um, you know, reestablish a, a line. Um, and that's very exhausting to me because my preferred way of working, which is how I am privileged enough to work with all of my clients now, is we set a parameter and then we work within those parameters and then we move forward from there. Um, and uh, it made me think of actually teaching teenagers. My husband is a high school teacher and I taught high school for a short period of time as well. And one of the things that really, for me at least, that was so exhausting about teenagers is that they're constantly testing boundaries. Like that's their job is to be like, wait, is that boundary still there? Oh, okay. Like, darn it. Okay. And then they come back, you know, 15 minutes later and it's the same, same boundary that they're testing. And for, as an introvert, I think the upholding of boundaries consistently in a way that feels defensive, like you just said the chinks in your armor, that is the exhausting part for me. What about what about you guys? Yeah, that could be an exhausting about teenagers for sure. <laughs> I see Natalie nodding. You, you, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, man. Every day, all day long, I feel like a broken record with my children. Everything's a negotiation. 100%. It's negotiating with terrorists, yeah. really. Like, it's just constant. And then as soon as yeah. you finish the negotiation, you just start renegotiating. Yeah. Well, and I have two. So it's if it's not one, it's the other. It's just, it feels relentless. Most days it feels relentless. I have to say, yeah. uh, our daughter's seventeen now, or almost seventeen, and uh, I, you know, it still exists, but it's it certainly has attenuated. And I feel like the last six months we've reached this much more harmonious equilibrium. Where, yeah, I mean, she still comes to us because she wants a lift or some money or you know whatever, but not. It's not like a hundred percent predictable. It, Every time she opens her mouth, it's going to be like, okay, this agreement that we had, can we change that agreement? Um, or I know we, you know, explain to me why this rule is important, but can we not have that rule? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's just a brain development thing or or what, but it feels like to me for the last six months that has improved quite a lot. I'm enjoying being with my daughter a lot more now that we we talk about stuff that's not just negotiating the rules. Um, so. But the thing is, I think there's some adults that like to play that negotiating with the like, or at least for me, when you encounter adults, you have to constantly renegotiate those rules. It's almost even more exhausting because you don't expect that behavior from them. 
Yeah, I, I was thinking also as as both of you were talking about kind of the the emotional engagement and sort of empathising with people and feeling like you're you know you need to emotionally engage and, and the, or the need to defend against you know excessively emotionally engaging. I feel like that's something that I don't struggle with, and I think it's probably because I'm a man and I'm. I have less of the trait of agreeableness. That is another one of the big five personality traits that I think, I'm not sure, but I think women on average tend to have more agreeableness, um, which means like wanting to get along with people and wanting to other people to be happy. Uh, and, uh, and that's of course not true of every woman. It's not true of every man, but you know, by and large, women tend to be more agreeable. And so I think sort of empathy comes, you know, is kind of a, part of that package and agreeable is not a bad thing it's a fantastic thing i mean it's like wouldn't want everybody to be disagreeable it would be a horrible world to live in but i think for me like i wouldn't say i'm disagreeable per se but i'd say just some i i care less whether people like me and i feel like i had this really kind of uh i don't know if it was a formative experience or something but just that i noticed when i was in when i was about 19 i was in hospital i had a motor vehicle accident i was a passenger in a, in a motor vehicle accident i was in hospital for a few days and uh, i was on some fairly significant pain relief at the start because i had this surgery and the i remember the nurses came around and i was like oh moan you know i'm in agony you know poor me you know um and and I was kind of, you know, whinging and whining and, and gnashing my teeth and whatever. And and the nurses were just very matter of fact, oh, you've got pain? Okay, well, I'll give you an extra dose of this pain medication. And and they were very compassionate in the sense of they were like, okay, I'm here to help you and alleviate your suffering. But they there was zero emotional involvement. They were like, you know, you could be like a blade of grass, you know, it's like they were, they were just, okay, you've got pain. Okay. I'll press the button for you. You know, like, and, and that made a profound impression on me and I didn't really think about it at the time, but I've reflected on it quite a bit over the last 30 years since, since it happened that it's like, I, I think that's a really, that's something that I have aspired to is the ability to be compassionate and want to help people, but without feeling their pain. That's actually a, um, a trick for social work. When I was a social worker, that was one of the things that was really important in order to, to stay sharp in the game and to be in the game and not get burned out and have compassion fatigue is the ability to be respectful and compassionate and responsive without taking it on uh, because otherwise it just, it hurts too much. Um, and, you know, this is actually kind of a really nice segue. Kyle and I are both, we both identified not just as introverts, but also like incredibly empathic. And it's tough. It's tough when I see somebody who is really suffering um, to be able to maintain my professional boundaries so that we can stick with the mission. And so also so that I'm not going to burn out. That's really, really hard. Um, and that's something that I, you know, I still struggle with. That's something that I need to work on and continue to work on. I can't wait for the point. Um, and I, I was listening. I, I have a few friends who are older than me. And Kyle, I know that I'm older than you. Sure. But supposedly, like, when you reach, like, your 50s, you just don't give as many shits anymore. And, like, you don't care as much. And I just can't wait for that point where, like, I don't care as much about things. And I don't care to be liked. Like, I wish that I could not care about being liked, but I do. So... Yeah, not there yet. Well, 
What's uh, Kyle? What's your what's your experience with being an empath as well as an introvert? I, yeah, I was gonna say um, early in my very young early twenties, poor, very passionate artist per- personality. I felt everything so deeply on all the levels. And I used to have, uh, I haven't had this for many years now, um, but there was a time at which I was teaching, same time I was teaching all of the energy vampires I was talking about before. And I also had a tendency to end up with all of these clients who had extremely uh, special needs. And I don't mean special needs as in um, disabilities. I mean, like, they just really intricate, like, one person was recovering from anorexia, another person who was getting out of an abuse, just all these these very emotionally driven um, things. And I suddenly would have all of this pain after work, like physical pain in my body that was like in the places that these people had been talking about having pain in their bodies. Um, And I don't know, this is not scientific. This is just me reporting my experience. But I feel like in retrospect, it was me internalizing. There was nothing wrong with me. But it felt like it was me internalizing all of this information because I was feeling so deeply what people were sharing with me. And I was taking it so seriously because I was such a new teacher. And I really wanted to, you know, do do right by my clients and do my best and all of those things. And it actually really negatively impacted my my health like for a couple of months or a year I can't even remember um to the point where it drove me to actually just like completely stop teaching Pilates for a while um I had to step away because it just was so much and now not being in that experience in my life and being much older and more mature and having a much sort of better sense of the type of people I want to work with and then also just practicing holding boundaries I have found that when I do encounter clients who have sort of more nuanced needs that come in on an emotional level my ability to hold a strong boundary and be compassionate without being emotive serves them so much better and they improve so much faster than what was happening in my early career where it was just me like you know also crying with them practically right and, so rather uh, than you jumping this, down in the hole with them um yeah, you, you yeah. could help me out of the hole from a, from standing from on ground level exactly and um the i had a mentor when i was teaching high school um i was a high school teacher for like two years and one of my teaching mentors she always had this great saying where she was like do not get on the roller coaster with them like, you know, teenagers are on this like emotional roller coaster and she's like, don't get on the roller coaster. And I did because I didn't know how not to. And I did it not just with my high schoolers, but with my adult clients and everybody. And maybe one of the benefits of practicing teaching and being in the game for a while and getting better at holding boundaries and being able to identify that I'm an introvert and being clear about the things that I need to recharge myself have actually helped me become a much more effective teacher Um, And it does feel, I think older or younger me in the past would feel like what I do now is more tough love. Um, You know, if a client needs to cry during a session or something emotional is happening, I can hold space for that, but I don't have to take on those feelings. How about you, Natalie? No, Kyle said it beautifully. I have nothing to add. (laughs) So let's move to uh, how have each of you now, you know, being older and wiser, um, set up your professional situation as a Pilates teacher 
to take advantage of being an introvert and to you know minimize or eliminate the 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 exposure to kryptonite natalie um for me the practice of just teaching is like building a muscle so when i first started teaching shifts of classes you know like three or four classes in a row i'm not even lying for probably the first two years i would do my shift i would come home I would put on my robe, close the door, and get into bed for the whole day. And I had two small babies. I So this is funny. I can't believe I'm going to share this, but I'm going to share this. Okay, so I had two small kids when I started teaching Pilates. And I would go into my room as part of my way to recharge. I'd put my robe on, I'd get in bed, and I would say to them, my room, mom's room is called Peaceful Spa. So if you're going to come into my room, you need to massage my shoulders or rub my feet. You need to whisper. You cannot talk loudly. If you need anything, you need to talk to daddy. I'm in peaceful spots. So if you come into the room, be prepared to massage my shoulders and whisper. And they would do that like for two years. They did that. <laughs> because that's what I needed to do to survive. That's amazing. I would not leave my room. <laughs> I know. Talk about setting boundaries. You're, you're a champion. <laughs> I could get away with it when they were small. Um, but yeah, for the first two years, I would teach my shift and I would come home and just stay in bed and stare at the wall for the rest of the day because it took everything out of me. And then it just gets better. It's like building a muscle. You just have to keep doing it to the point where your body can tolerate teaching all those classes. So that was the biggest tip. So I think now I don't need to do that anymore, obviously. And my teenagers would be like, whatever, mom, I am not rubbing your shoulders or touching your feet, um, nor do I want them to at this point. But um, it is really important in terms of if you are an introvert for anything, if you work with other people all the time, uh, you need to have strategies in place to recharge. So if that means making sure that you work out every day, uh, making sure that you have dedicated time for yourself every day to have some quiet time. And so how do, how that's, do you, that's the biggest how thing. do you create that for yourself? Uh, I work out every day. Uh, and especially, especially after my shifts, I try to make sure that I don't have a whole lot of other things going on that I, as soon as I finish the shift, it's a block of time where I can just walk or exercise or do nothing, sit on the sofa and watch a show. And what about so so that's stuff that you've done, you know, outside of teaching. And so you're you're saying that, you know, you just basically sucked it up in terms of the teaching, and, and did the reps and and built the muscle, and that you've your actual strategies apart have come in more in play in your life outside of teaching where you've created a structure and time where you can you can decompress by yourself and and keep your body moving. Yes, because and maybe maybe Kyle or, or Raph, maybe you see this differently, but I feel like I choose to be a Pilates teacher. I choose to be a Pilates educator. It is my job to interact with people. And that's my job. That's what I need to do. So I am going to put on my coat of confidence. <laughs> And I'm going to do what I need to do. Um, Keith Heath Lander says this really well because Heath is a textbook introvert. And one of the things that he says uh, is when you are the person in charge, when you're the Pilates teacher 
especially when you're working with, let's say, brand new clients who are walking into the studio for the very first time, you have to go first. You need to be the one to go up to that new client and say, hello, good morning, thanks for coming in, thanks for being here, here's the bathroom, here's where you put your shoes. You have to go first. And I feel really strongly about that, no matter what kind of introvert you are. Like, that is a hard line. This is your job. This is what you've chosen to do. You need to go first. So whatever it is you need to do behind closed doors or when you're finished your shift, that's what you need to do. But when you're on, you're on. You have to be on. That's the way I feel really hard about that. That's Yeah, I fully endorse that. And Heath and I have had that conversation as well. And uh, I think you know some of the greatest instructors I've known, the most popular instructors I've, I've worked with have been introverts, like very quietly spoken, you know, not the not the life of the party sort of people, but wildly popular just because I gave people experience in class that was, you know, around you know, within their own body and their own physicality. Uh, but they always were like at the front desk saying hi to people as they walked in, remembering people's names, like all of those things. You don't get a free pass just because you're shy or introverted. It's like, well, if you if you don't want to do that, you're in the wrong job, you know, go become become a software developer or something. <laughs> Kyle, I what think, about you? Um, I was going to say, I agree with everything Natalie just said. Um, and when you asked the original question, I think the original question you said is sort of, what do you do to keep yourself calibrated for your job? Is that, that's kind of how you said it? How do you, how have you set your life up or how have you set your professional situation up so that you, you know, to take advantage of your strengths as an introvert and also to minimize your exposure to kryptonite. Right. And so the first thing that popped into my mind when you asked that question is SOP, standard operating procedures. Like I have them for my life and my business and I'm very regimented in in everything. Actually, Natalie and I were talking about this before we got on to record because this week is a weird week for me. So I'm all over the place because my schedule is not, my SOP is off. Um, but, but the things, when I think of SOP, the thing I'm thinking about is that like there is the, okay, class starts at this time. You need to be at the studio 10 minutes early. You need to be standing at the front desk as your students walk in. Like these are all checklists that I have in my mind that become automated or sort of habitual so that I don't have to think about them. And that structure gives me confidence and comfort and enables me to be better at my job. Um, and that's the thing that I really had to learn, to be honest, that helped me get better at upholding boundaries as well. So I think, you know, younger, just started teaching Kyle Pilates instructor, you're just trying, or for me, I was just trying to remember the moves and like have a, make people have a good time. I didn't have all of the um, sort of professional moves of, okay, you come into your stu- into the studio, your shoes go here, you know, no socks or whatever the rules are, you know, the whole introduction. And then if you've never been here before, please sign a waiver. Just the, co- there's these, these mundane conversational points that are just start- sort of part of our daily work um, that I'm, I agree with Natalie, you have to do the reps, you have to practice them, you have to get them in. But if you can have for yourself sort of the sense of routine and what the standard operating procedure is, it makes me, it will makes me function better. Um, and I know that for that beyond the studio and just the things that have to happen either one-on-one with clients or in a group class setting, I've structured my personal life the same way too. Like I have to have time for myself in the morning. I'm not somebody who can roll out of bed 
and like have a sip of coffee and function. Like I need to give myself, I need a full hour before I have to interact with humans. Um, because I want that time to get dressed. I want to read the paper. I want to leisurely sip my coffee. And that makes me more settled and ready to tackle the day than my husband who has to wake up like 15 minutes before he has to be at work, which would really stress me out. So um, for me, it's, it's the structure and just having a sense of routine that enables me to feel like I can have the time that I need to recharge, but then also makes me capable of managing the things that need to be managed um, in a professional setting. It's striking to me that both that both of you have said this to me. Kyle, you just said it today. Natalie, you, you, you didn't say it today, but you've said it to me on multiple previous occasions, that routine is a really big thing for you. And uh, so, and it's interesting to me because it will, that surprised me about both of you. Um, uh, and routine is a massive thing for me as well. Like I, I have routinized almost every part of my day <laughs> um, to the point where my wife and daughter, you know, make fun of me multiple times a day about it. <laughs> oh, there goes Raph. It's quarter past 12. So he's eating his same lunch that he always eats every, every day. Um, so yeah, talk to me a little, a bit for a minute, Natalie, about uh, how you use routine and, and why you think that's important to you or valuable. Oh, because I don't like change because uh, it's it's a sense of control. <laughs> I just I I for me, it just gives me a rhythm that it gives me that internal rhythm that I need because I feel like I am so highly sensitive to my surroundings. I as I said before, I'm really sensitive to noise. I'm sensitive to light. Like when I sleep, I need a weighted blanket, a weighted eye pillow. I've got the covers all the way up to my chin. And it's just like, if I could, and I've got like a pillow around my head, like I need absolute no stimulation at all. I've just got a, I've got a very vivid visual as as you're talking through this. It's really funny because I've had a couple of girlfriend trips and um, I've had a couple of girlfriend trips with the same girlfriends and every now and then we share the bed, you know, with the hotel room and the bed. And I have one friend who's just like, uh, what is happening here? Because <laughs> like I'm literally cocooning myself <laughs> because I have to have like, I just, I have, I can't have simulation. So I think for me, having a routine is really just part of like helping my nervous system And it took me a really long time not to be ashamed of it. Like I felt like a weak person that I just, I am so sensitive to everything. I'm sensitive. I'm like a walking nerve, but it's just like, you know what? That's just kind of how I'm built. And it's all, it's, it's the medicine and the poison. It's, it's my kryptonite and my superpower that I'm just so sensitive, but the routines help me to create order that I need internally that I'm not getting externally. So that's really it's, what it boils down to. It's interesting to me. I mean, you've said that to me before uh, about you being sensitive, and I believe you. But I've never, I've never experienced that in my any of my interactions with you. And I, if if asked to describe your personality, sensitive is not one of the words I would use. Like, and when I say when I say sensitive, I mean like reactive or you know highly emotional or emotionally unstable, you know, bouncing from one emotion to the next, you know, sort of thing. 
that's not my experience of of you at all. I would I think of you as very measured, very uh, even, very stable, um, very reliable. I've I've never, to my knowledge, seen you extremely upset about anything. I've never seen you cross. I've never seen you angry. Uh, I've never seen you appear to be anxious. You always just seem like calm and happy and, you know, so I'm not sure if you're like a duck swimming crazily under the water and with a calm, unruffled exterior, but uh, it certainly doesn't come across. Kyle's smiling because it's the code of confidence. Right. <laughs> and on, sorry, Natalie, when you described your sleep situation, I also do that. Literally the exact same thing. I cannot. <laughs> well, next time you guys come to stay, we'll make sure we've got a weighted blanket so you don't have to bring it all away from the, from the United States <laughs> yeah. as, as you carry on luggage. I was gonna say I can't sleep without I can't sleep deeply without a weighted blanket now. And also when I was on sabbatical with my husband, we were traveling for two months. I had to bring an eye mask that now apparently I have to wear all the time when I sleep. And I thought that it was just me getting older, but I now I feel validated by what you had to share. So. No, it's true. Well, and you know what you described, Raph, is just like it it's really if I if I acted the way I wanted to act, nobody would hire me. Like you wouldn't have hired me if I was just erratic and like neurotic. Right. But it, but you didn't just like, you know, perform as a normal sane person, you know, up to and including the job interview uh, and then showed us your crazy side. It's like we've worked together for years now and I've never seen anything remotely approaching a crazy side. No, I won't. I save it for my husband. <laughs> Kyle, why, why, why is routine or SOP so important to you? Honestly, for, I feel like Natalie said exactly, like this for the same reason, it can creating the illusion of control and like calming the chaos. Um, I think I would consider myself also an extremely sensitive person, um, like emotionally, like on all the levels, but um, not very, or and which is usually surprising, I think, to a lot of people as well. Um, yeah, it's it's just a sense of control and and not control in a rigid way, because I also think that I have the ability to be flexible when needed. But when I'm saying control, I'm thinking mostly of just the concept of control. Like my environment is really important to me, like the cleanliness of my house, the organization of my things. All of that has a great impact on how I feel like I'm able to function in the world. Um, and when those things are out of order, I feel out of order. And maybe that's just like my mental math or I don't know. <laughs> I've always been that way. Even as like a seven-year-old child, I used to rearrange the furniture in my room because I needed it to like be feng shui in a very specific way so that I felt like I could be <laughs> calm. Um, I think it's just a sense of, it's a sense of organization um, that feels familiar. Those, those are the things that I need to and but with that sense of organization and sort of calming the chaos, it makes me feel more prepared and able to take on anything unexpected. This is a very interesting conversation. And uh, just before we move on from the whole kind of habit and SAP thing, I just want to share because I'm very, very similar in terms of like I've got everything routinized. Like I get up at the same time, go to bed at the same time, have the same thing for breakfast, have the same thing for lunch. You know, like I have very, very um, – repetitive cadences to my 
life. And uh, for me, though, my rational, my internal rationalization of why I do that, I mean, who knows why I really do it, but but my own, you know, personal rationalization of why I do it is about uh, efficiency and or optimization. Like, you know, for example, with the sleep thing, like I'm, I always go to bed, you know, I, I was, eyes closed, lights out by eight o'clock, you know, on a bad day, it's like 8.15. Um, and that's because I read some research that said like, well, one of the, one of the factors that determines quality and quantity of sleep is having a, a consistent bedtime, actually more than consistent getting up time. So, so I'm like, okay, great. I'm just going to do that. And so now I do that. And then I've discovered this lunch that I eat. It's like, frozen diced vegetables microwave with some tuna and some hot sauce and it's like it ticks all the boxes it's like you know macronutrients you know calories fiber micronutrients easy to prepare tasty cheap it's like great why would i why would i spend one second thinking about what i would have for lunch when i can just have that for lunch it ticks all the boxes and i've literally had that for lunch i think like every day for the last year um and yeah, so it's to me, it's just about like, well, it's it's efficient to do it that way. It's like I've found the best lunch, so why why would I go for an, any other lunch? <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe it's just that's I'm just kidding myself, and it's all about my need to control my environment and uh, control my anxiety. I don't know. I think efficiency is something that I also value. I don't know, Natalie, are you in the same boat? Yeah, one hundred percent. Um. What do you think, like, because neither of you have really mentioned the work environment much, right? So for me, like working from home is a massive, you know, benefit as an introvert is like in between, like when I was at a studio, it's like there pretty much is nowhere you can go to be out of, out of communication with people. It's like whichever nook or cranny of the the building you hide in, someone's going to come in and start telling you about their day or, you know, whatever. And whereas at home, it's like I finish a lecture, I turn off Zoom, bam, I'm by myself. It's instant. You know, I can just go and sit at the kitchen table and read a book or or whatever. You know, have you, have, have, have you, uh, do you think that, you know, what impact has, does your work situation have, you know, uh, in this, you know, in this context, because Natalie, you obviously work online with Breathe, but you work in person as well. And Kyle, I know you've set up your own business and you see clients in person predominantly, right? So, yeah. So Kyle, like what, if any impact does, does your work situation have? And have you set it up consciously in that, you know, for that reason? Yeah. So I do also teach online, but the number of clients that I have online are less than the number of people I see in person right now. Um, And for me, I also live in New York City. So another huge piece of my life involves riding the subway every day. That's part of my job to get to where I have to go. And for anyone who's never ridden the subway in New York, it is an extremely aggressive. And I mean that in all the ways, sound, people, stimulation. There's just so much. It is not. It's so overwhelming sometimes. Um, And actually, recently I was in Japan and the subway there is silent. It is amazing. Nobody talks on the train and the train itself is incredibly quiet. Um, and I am really envious. I wish that the subway in New York was like that, but it's not. It, it's like everything about it assaults your senses. So I, like many New Yorkers, am always pretty much plugged into a podcast or something that is 
shutting off the, as much of the rest of the world as um, reasonably possible to get to where I'm going just because it is so overstimulating. And in my work environments now, I'm quite lucky because um, the majority of the clients that I see one-on-one, I see them either in their homes or in the gym that's in the building of their home. And those are environments that are much um, less populated. Like I really only am interacting with my actual clients and maybe like a doorman, not a big deal. Um, whereas I also contract, um, with a corporate, uh, company where I do wellness programming for them. And that environment is usually depending on the day. It's like, I can just be interacting with the people that I'm teaching or they'll host, um, leadership events sometimes. And those are always my least favorite days because it's like lots of people. And the thing that I tend to do, which I have actually, um, people have asked me why, is instead of showing up early for class, I will show up exactly at the time that it starts because I don't want to like go through, like I, I don't want to be standing around and have someone come up and talk to me that I don't know. Um, I just kind of want to get in and out and do the thing that I'm there to do. And it has, people have noted that I do that, but it's me making a choice because in that environment, um, I'm being contracted it's not like I work for a gym or a corporation. I can make that choice and it's uh, professionally appropriate or it's okay professionally versus mm-hmm. when I used to work for um, sort of like a big box luxury gym, I did encounter a lot of what you were talking about, um, Raph, just like forced interactions with people that are not just your clients. And that, um, I won't say that's the thing that ultimately burned me out in that it work situation but it was something that I was constantly grappling with um and it there I didn't have a good solution for that like you know you'd run into the office and try to hide but there's always somebody else hiding in the office because they're also not teaching and then inevitably they're going to talk to you and I have tried to find a polite way to say hey I'm feeling really like tired and run down right now can we just have silence but like the majority of people even if you say that that way will take it as being rude um So I don't have a good solution for that. And I'm very grateful that in my current work life, I have kind of consciously structured what I do to be very directed. I don't feel like I have, minus the subway, a lot of excessive interaction. A little trick I've developed, which uh, is not perfect, but it's pretty good, is I wear noise cancelling headphones. And um, when if so that's kind of a social signal that please don't talk to me, but that doesn't stop doesn't stop certain people. And so they'll talk to you and then you kind of just ignore them for a moment because you can see their lips moving, but you can't hear them. And then you're like, oh, sorry, did you say something? And you lift one headphone off and they're like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, okay, great. And then you put your headphone back on again. And so that is a signal of like, yeah, great. Message received, conversation over. And I've found that discourages the vast majority of people from entering into a more prolonged conversation. That makes sense. Uh, Natalie, um, what about you? Like how have how intentionally have you yeah. chosen or designed your work environment you know, with regards to being an introvert? Yeah. Um, so I work at a studio once a week. I work at a hospital, which is online right now. So um, it's in my house. And then obviously Breathe is working from home. But for me, the, the my biggest strategy is knitting. So if I have my knitting with me, and Raph's smiling because like when it, we're in strategy day, when we're in big meetings, I'm knitting. And a lot of it, it's just, the, it's like, it's better than biting my fingernails or, you know, like twiddling with my hair. It's really, um, it's, 
It is to just satisfy the urge to bite my fingernails or <laughs> fidget. Um, so that's why I knit. It's And I, um, I made it a point early on with knitting once I figured out that I love knitting to learn how to knit so I don't have to watch myself knitting. So I can still make eye contact. I can still talk to you and participate in the meeting, but I'm not devoting my full, like, 100%. I'm devoting like 95% of my energy on the meeting, but like that 5% that I need to self-soothe, that's why I knit. So I, if we're in a big meeting, you'll see me knitting because it's just like, uh, I have to be in a big meeting right now. So I'm just going to knit. And oftentimes people will comment on the knitting, which is better than small talk because I like knitting and I can talk about the knitting and we don't have to talk about the weather, which is like, oh, I hate talking about the weather. Um, so the knitting is the thing that I'm doing. I'm always knitting, even at the studio when, if I am if I don't have to teach a, a new client class, I will sit in the studio. It's a small studio. It's only, only got eight beds and it's all in a row. So I situate myself right in the center. And if there's not a lot of, um, if it, I don't, if I'm not needed to set up, then I will sit and I will knit and talk to people as they come in and I'm feeling better because I'm knitting and <laughs> people are okay with me knitting because I'm not like staring at my knitting and talking to them. But yeah, knitting is my biggest thing. But otherwise, working from home is lovely. It, home is my sanctuary. My husband actually works from home too, which was a big transition because he used to work in the office. And when he, when his company, well, he, he moved to another company and he's fully remote, I was devastated. I was like, wait a minute this is my office. Like, what do you mean you're, you're going to be working from home now? Like, no, but he works downstairs <laughs> and I work upstairs and we get along really well. And it's, it's actually quite nice because he, um, there are times when we can go for a walk and we're able to do that now, which is, is really nice. And I love, I love everything about working from home. I do wish that my coworkers weren't so far away because every now and then I would just, I'd love to be able to see all of you in person. I really would. Um, but otherwise, like, yeah, I love working from home. It's my favorite. Yeah, we had um, one of our team, Carol, who works with, uh, with, with us uh, and she lives in the Philippines and she's been, she visited us in Melbourne last week and the whole bunch of us in Melbourne met at a restaurant and with, you know, to have dinner with together. And uh, I was sitting there with Haley, and like it was, who's uh, you know the lead lead on our um, certification, um, and she'd been working with like four, five years, like, I don't know, like several years. And so we're talking. And then I was like, Haley, I don't think we've ever met in person before. And she was like, No, we haven't. And it's so weird that we've we've known each other online you know, like in some respects, like very, very closely, we've known each other in, in a professional, you know, setting. And we've had some really deep conversations about Pilates and teaching and movement and, you know, philosophy of life and stuff. And it's like, we've never physically met. And then we're at this restaurant and we're just, we're physically together, like sitting across the table from each other. And it was like 10 minutes before I realized it's like, oh, I've actually never seen you in person before. It's so weird. But at the same time, it was completely normal. It's quite a bizarre situation that I think no previous generation has ever experienced that we've had this kind of visual, you know, relationship with people that we've never, and like Natalie, you and I have never met in person, you know, um, and it'll be so 
wonderful and weird when when we do. You know, I'm sure you'll be like a lot taller than I expected you'd be, or a lot shorter than I expected no. you. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think like right now, because you and I've been on, we've been recording weekly. I think. Aside from maybe Heath and I have super, we don't, I, I know you don't call it supervision. I call it supervision just because I, I was in social work. We have one, I have a one-on-one with Heath um, once a week and that's an hour. And then I meet with you for an hour and a half. But like you two are the the two humans in my life that I have the longest sustained conversation with on a weekly basis, even more than my husband at this point. You know, we see each other for walks and we see each other for meals, but it's, it's these small bits and pieces because we both are working and we have kids. So yeah, it's a very strange existence. And like Kyle, she and I have never met in person. We grew up on the same island. Now we live on separate coasts and we do this pen pal thing where, you know, pen pals in the past, it was just writing letters and waiting for a letter to come from your pen pal. And now it's just like, if I need to say something, it's like I'm 15 minutes of like me talking into my phone to Kyle saying, this is what I think about these things. Uh, Yeah, it's a very, it's a really strange existence. I was just going to add on that um, I have a client that I have never met in person, actually, who I teach like three times a week. And she does come to New York. She doesn't live in New York, um, which is why I don't see her in person. But even though she comes to New York, we've never I always offer like, oh, we could do a session, you know, together in person when you're here. And I think that she's like, no, no, it's okay. So I've only ever taught her (laughs) online. Um, and, and it is really surreal and kind of funny when you think about it. But um, to Natalie's point about pen paling, um, I love the the way in which my professional and also personal, I guess now, because we're all friends, uh, world has opened up as a result of the ability to like be online, if that makes sense. Yeah, it is amazing how... And for me, the, those boundaries have blurred very much as well between professional and, and personal in the people that I, I work with. A lot of them have become friends like both of you guys. Uh, and it's great, I think, because you know because of the internet, we can now connect with like-minded people in you know distant lands, whereas there might not be like you know sufficient number of like-minded people within a 10 block radius of, of your physical location. It doesn't matter anymore, Natalie. Just to just to touch back on a point that you made um, about working at home and your husband, you know, working downstairs and you working upstairs. That's the exact way that Julie, my wife, and I do it. Uh, she works downstairs. I'm here upstairs. We we probably bump into each other for a few seconds, a couple of times during the day, and we we've set it up that way deliberately so that we don't. Uh, at the end of the day, when we get when we connect uh, with over dinner and go for a walk or whatever, it's like we've got something to talk about because it's like if we can say how was your day because it's like oh, I wasn't just like literally sitting next to you the whole time, so <laughs> I don't actually know what how your day went, and so then we can discuss and debrief. And for me, working uh, with my wife in the same company, she's the operations manager here at Breathe. It's fantastic, and I think this is the, the the perfect for me and for us the perfect kind of balance where we both are involved in the company, have you know, shared interests, a shared project, something we're working on together, shared frame of reference. When she's talking about a person, I'm like, I know exactly what and who she she means, uh, and and because she works in her office downstairs and I work in my office upstairs and it's all soundproofed, we can just I can be by myself all day and she can be by herself all day because she's a massive introvert as well and she really needs that time 
um, yeah, so I think that's you know for those of us with the with the the the, the luxury of being able to afford that living situation, that's that's amazing. Yeah, we're really lucky. We moved right in. We we moved right before the pandemic, and we moved specifically because we wanted more space. And we, I'm so glad that we did, just because if we were living in the old house, I would not be working for Bree. There would have been no space for a reformer, much less two offices. So yeah, it's been a good it's been a good gig for us here. Uh, just like to finish up with like any kind of tips, life hacks, tricks. You know, one weird trick you've discovered to you know make life as an introvert easier. Uh, <laughs> Natalie, anything you'd like to share? I think just embrace your introversion. It really is. I think it is a superpower, and um, I think introverts are highly underutilized and underrated. And I, I really think that, like, I really enjoy being an introvert and I love telling people that I'm an introvert, especially since I don't think I come across as one. It um, it shocks and awes people, I think, to know that I'm an introvert. But yeah, uh, just embrace your introversion. It's good. It's a good thing. Cool. Yeah, I will piggyback on what Natalie said. I agree. Um, I think if we wanted to recap from things that we said in the beginning, I think just knowing the qualities that you bring to the table. Um, so for Pilates specifically, um, knowing that you probably are going to have a pretty good read on a room or a person or a situation. And I think learning to trust your instincts. I know that's something that I personally had a really hard time in the beginning. You can second guess yourself a lot. Um, but if you are a sensitive person, like own that and use that information to help you make decisions. And then just using routine um, and structuring your life in a way so that you can thrive. I think there's, we're in this time in the wellness industry in general, where it's all about like self-care and all this stuff. Um, and I think that can be kind of gimmicky sometimes, but what I think it really does or should boil down to is creating environments in your or structures in your life that can help you thrive. So that if you know that you're an introvert, knowing like what, what type of recovery time you need after teaching or, or transitioning between things and then giving yourself permission to set your schedule up so that that's how you structure your life so that you can like sustain um, what you're doing because if you don't, you will burn out. <laughs> um, and I think there can be a lot of, or I've witnessed and also had this experience that when I haven't structured my routine or my life in a way that feels balanced for me and my needs as an introvert, then there's a lot of guilt with coming with the feeling of feeling like I've failed at something or like a lot of imposter syndrome. It can get really weird. Um, and that it wasn't any of those things. It was just that I wasn't structuring my life in a way that I, I needed it to be structured in order for me to perform well. I think those are, are both yeah very, very important. I'd add two things. One is to, you know, I, I think even pretty much extending what you said, Natalie, embrace you know, being an introvert. To me, what that means and how I operationalize that is I actually like I decline social invitations if I if I have to go because it's like okay it's my mum's 70th birthday or whatever then I leave her I you know I sit at the end of the table and I leave early um and you know so so I, I actually just you know don't feel bad about not trying to be extroverted um uh, and, and, you know, when you know, at home, it's like, I'd 
Jules and I, my wife, uh, you know, we talk when we want to talk, but a lot of time we just want to be silent, you know, and <laughs> that's good for both of us. Um, and so that's one thing. And then I think the second thing is in a professional setting, like teaching Pilates, and I struggled with this for actually a couple of years when I first started, is I tried to be an extrovert. You know, when I was teaching, I was like, oh, I have to be like on and up and make it a performance and a song and dance show. And because I, you know, there were, I was working with some very talented teachers who were extroverts and that's how they taught. And I was like, all right, well, I want to do that too. And it just wasn't sustainable for me. And it wasn't even natural or authentic for me. And, you know, luckily I had also some great people I was exposed to who were great teachers who were introverts. And so I, I would say, you know, like when I go to like a, a to have my hair cut or to get a massage, I will never go back if that person's a talker, right? Like I don't want to talk with my barber or my massage therapist. I just want to lie there or sit there, get my hair cut, get my back massaged. Like I don't want to converse, you know? And so I, I can only you know, assume, I, I, it must be true, that there are clients who don't want the bubbly in your face, you know, over the top extroverted person, you know, jumping up and down in front of them at 6.30 in the morning in their Pilates class. Like they just want to get on the machine, shut the fuck up, don't, don't say hi to me, just tell me which exercise we're doing. <laughs> don't ask me to be in a good mood at this time of day. And, and so I, I think you can turn it into a feature, not a bug. You know, you're that person that those introverts will come to your class and know that you're not going to accost them and ask them to get up and do a belly dance, you know, like it's a safe space. (laughs) (laughs) Good talk. Good talk. Thanks, guys. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means You keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. 
So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.